Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. This week I talked to Sabina Colligan, principal of S. Colligan Coaching, about safety culture. This episode is presented as part of EHS Daily Advisor's Safety Culture Week. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Sabina Colligan, principal of S. Colligan Coaching. Uh, welcome, Sabina. Thank you, Jay. I'm so glad to be here. Glad to have you here. Um, and before we kind of get started into talking about safety culture, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned that I own a business as Colligan Coaching, and really the foundation of the business that I own and really the alignment to who I am and what I feel is my purpose here on earth right now is this understanding or belief that humans are the most sustainable resource. And in order for them to produce and innovate and continue to create a better world, they need to be in environments that are healthy. They need to be safe. And environmental health and safety professionals do that. They protect the environment. They're protecting people and they're giving them the space to innovate and to produce. So everything I do is in line with protecting the environmental health and safety professional, um, providing them resources, helping them connect to their passions, their purpose, their why, so that they can innovate and produce in the health and safety space so that the rest of the world can do the same. Excellent. So today we're going to talk about safety culture, and I was wondering if you could kind of sort of give me what your sort of definition of safety culture is. So it's interesting because there's the overarching definition of culture that um, delineates the, the expectations of people, and that's just the big picture. Um, so whether it's culture at an organization, really for this conversation. And then you have the interaction with safety. So it's it's a smaller kind of circle in that big sphere of what culture is. And truly for me, safety culture is how the norms, behaviors, and expectations of the overarching culture interact with the safety system. Okay. So what are some safety culture red flags that folks should look out for? Um, so one of the biggest safety culture red flags that I find, especially working with my clients and having been a safety manager is safety. It's safety's responsibility. So if someone gets injured, safety, tell me what happened. Um, somebody's not doing what they're supposed to do following a policy, then it's, hey, safety, figure out what they're doing, what's not happening. It's kind of hands-off approach um, when bigger issues are brought up saying, hey, we need help to um, increase the interaction, the positive interaction with safety and the safety systems that are in place. And the executive team is sort of like, well, that's what we hired you for and not that collaborative. It's all of our responsibility to make sure people get home in one piece and that they are really enjoying the quality of life that they've provided themselves by coming to work. 
Makes sense. Um, so what should you do when safety policy isn't being followed? Mm, that's a really good question, Jane. Um, so I'm a certified industrial hygienist and in IH, one of the most common kind of mantras that we have is it depends. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's always dependent upon what's happening and why. So getting to the root cause, not pointing fingers, looking at the system of which the safety policy was established and why people aren't interacting with it the way that you intended. So I would say even going back to when you're writing a safety policy, understand what your intent is and how you want people to interact with it and then let that guide the document or how it's produced. So, you know, a lot of times we write these policies because we need to be in line with federal regulation and we have to have evidence that we said we did it great so you have that document a bunch of safety people reading documents about safety stuff and then taking a look at what's going to be people facing and what you expect people to be able to do with it what do you expect your vice president director senior manager manager frontline supervisor frontline worker contractor how do you expect each level to interact with the guidance that you are giving them and is it truly meeting that expectation or are you saying i wrote this 12 page document i hope you understand it and they don't they it serves no purpose to them. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, like an important um, part of training uh, employees is when they come on board. Um, what should you look for when you're onboarding staff? Yeah, so I went to this conference last week, <clears throat> excuse me, and there was um, an HR director there. And she said, onboarding is not a one day, one week process. And it was fascinating to me because they have such a high employee retention, but it was understanding again, how people interact with your system and what you're providing them. So on the first couple of days, it's everything's so new. Right, you're opening your eyes, like you're just taking it all in. You know, you don't even know how to fully show up as yourself in that space. And you're really worried about like, when do I get paid? Who is my supervisor? What is all this new surrounding that I have signed up to be a part of? And she shared that if you do feedback, on how the onboarding process was after the first week, the ratings are really high, but after the first six months, the ratings significantly dip, but people don't get their onboarding data feedback and what that experience was like. Did you actually prepare me to get into um, the workforce? at six months later. So it was very, very interesting to me. So with that new perspective, like what should you look for when you're onboarding staff? Um, not 
feeding them through a fire hose <laughs> right like understanding how to temper that interaction how do you create this positive experience you know yes they need to know who your safety or ehs professionals are initially and then how do you make that a positive right so if they've come from a place where maybe they have safety cops they don't know what to expect they've come from unsafe workplaces that's why they're there how do you introduce without overwhelming and then follow up with the expectations of how they interact with your system in a way that lets you know lets them know that you are an advocate for them and their work their workplace experience yeah like not overwhelming them with just everything all at once but kind of you know parsing it out over over time yeah and it's hard right like people come to work and managers expect people to be working so you've got to get those trainings in early mm. that is completely understood but on day one day two going through the entire safety management system they're not going to fully understand that. So what are you know some little tools that you can provide to them? How can you maybe have a six month follow up where you're really like, yes, you know the rules. Now let's understand how it fits into the system. That is above and beyond what a lot of organizations have. But it also gets people engaged in a at a different time when they're starting to understand how the company works itself. Um, you mentioned the safety cop. Uh, obviously, that's sort of like the uh, almost stereotypical image of, you know, the an EHS professional is sort of like, uh oh, here comes here comes the safety cop and tell us, you know, what we're doing wrong. Um, how do you how do you move beyond that sort of safety cop image? Yeah, so it's funny because, you know, it's like, how do I get you as an employee to care about not harming yourself or dying? <laughs> right? Like, so it feels so just like, what am I doing here? But I was um, driving and like I'm driving and I drive in Atlanta. So when you're going with the flow of traffic in Atlanta, it may be slightly above the speed limit. Mm -hmm. And when I'm driving, like I was driving, I saw this black car and I looked and I was like, oh crap, is that the cops? <laughs> like, are they gonna get me? And I sat back and I thought about it. Now, these cops have these the speed limits are in place, right? Like they don't create the speed limit. Mm -hmm. And this is something that the Department of Transportation has done after studies of what's around, what could happen. And these are safe speeds and perfect conditions for you to travel. And they're just there to enforce that because, you know, you don't want to hit a child crossing a street at a right. um, school zone or, you know, there's accidents that have happened because of the curves in the road. Like That's literally what they're there for. They're there to make sure you don't get hurt. However, when I look and I see the car, my heart drops. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, what if that's how people feel when I walk around? <laughs> <laughs> and do you really want to feel like that? Yeah. 
So if you don't, then that's why they have a shift um, in the policing community around community policing, right? Where you, you're seeing these officers, you're seeing their vehicles, their uniforms, but they are in non-threatening situations. They're out there playing basketball or baseball with the kids. They are participating in parades and other events to really create comfort and so that you can have a mutual respect for what they do and you see them as human and you see why they care. And when we get to that place of getting the workforce to see that you're human and see why you care, like nobody gets a ticket and they're like, Oh, I'm so grateful for you stopping me and getting a $50 ticket. But you can also get to a place where it's like, man, you know, I understand why it's so important in these spaces and helping other people to get there. So it's for us to really create those relationships um, and not be the person that your heart drops. Right. Um, and sort of, and, you know, as you sort of are, are working towards that, how can you get workers excited about safety? Obviously, you know, engagement is huge. Uh, you don't want people to feel like they're just like, you know, no, oh, I got to do this because, you know, uh, Sabine is telling me to, but, um, you know, what's, what can, what can you do to sort of build that enthusiasm for, like you said, you know, people to want to stay safe and, you know, live you know yeah. their jobs so you know i think we try to take this on so much as the safety professional and it's just a bigger pot than we can boil on our own so i think that's the first realization that not one single person is going to get an entire workforce excited about safety but what we can do is start to align more to people's whys. So I approach this the same way I approach my individual coaching, my leadership team coaches or coaching. And in order for people to get excited about something, to want to do something, especially when it adds more time, it's a headache, um, you have to you have to do more to get it done. And that's what safety feels like a lot of times. But when you know why you're taking the extra step, then, and it aligns to your overarching purpose, that thing that gets you moving, then you're more likely to respect the why. And you're more likely to just put it as part of your just being and how you approach things. So creating that overarching vision, um, connecting that to people that care in the organization um, and really starting at the top of what is your why? Not necessarily what your responsibility is, but why do you even care? So if it's because the board of directors gives me an evaluation every year and you know I wanna move up in the organization, I wanna be on the board one day, then that's their why. Okay, so let's figure out how we can incorporate safety into getting you to that next step, how you can 
you know, stand out amongst your peers. And at every level, I had one gentleman, um, he was acting unsafely and I had him come down and I had built this really good relationship with them. And I'm like, you know, you're doing this. I was like, I don't think you're going to die. Honestly, I don't. I think you're going to break your leg, be absolutely miserable. And then this summer, the trip that you've planned to Disney that you've been talking about all year, you're not going to enjoy that if you can go at all, because now you're going to be on disability. The money's not going to be the same and you're going to be disappointed. Your kids are going to be disappointed or you could just take the extra few steps to do what you need to do. And he stopped and he's like, you know what? I didn't even consider that. Like I was just thinking about getting the job done, but I didn't think about the consequence of what I was doing. And that person who connected to his why, because God forbid he disappointed his kids about going to Disney. Disney's got a lot of walking involved, so. Yeah, so he was going to be in a wheelchair, right? So we went through this whole scenario today. <laughs> well, I just imagine. It's like, if, if anything else, you could have avoided this entire conversation with me. Like, whatever <laughs> the, the outcome. But he became such a huge advocate, and he knew his coworkers even better than I did. And he was having those conversations like, man, it's not even worth it. So really connecting to what engages people that allows them or encourages them to take the extra step that's where you get people excited they need something bigger to believe in than just laying the brick one at a time um so obviously another thing that you have to deal with is uh you know workers who get burned out um what are some indicators of burnout in the workforce that you can kind of keep an eye out for? Oh, definitely. Burnout is such a big deal. It's been a big deal before the pandemic. It's shown even more so in the pandemic, post-pandemic, and it's still there. Um, but some of the areas that you can look for um, is people's attitudes, attitude towards work, um, attitude towards their coworkers, absenteeism, um, mistakes that are being made, um, and just their overall approach to what work is like. Like you can tell that person that is just drained um, and they're just not enthused anymore. And a lot of times that happens because maybe their workload is too high, the organization or something is happening where their value systems don't align. Um, maybe they don't feel like they're being treated fairly in the workplace or they don't have control over their lives. And a combination of those indicators actually just really start bringing people down. And if you previously had a positive workplace or pro a positive team, and now you're starting to see some of those toxic traits, that cynicism, depression, anxiety, then those are indicators that um, your workforce or maybe your department is starting to burn out. So what can you do about it? 
Yeah, so there's two things that you can do. Um, one, for individuals, individual recovery is truly individual. So tapping into um, value systems is one of the easiest places to start. So if you value quality time with your family, but now your workload is requiring you to miss your kids' soccer games or um, bingo night with your grandma, <laughs> it can be really draining, right? Yeah. So you need to take a look at what you value and if your workplace is allowing you to honor those values. Even with your work, the integrity of your work, if they're asking you to push stuff out that doesn't feel right or complete to you, um, that's something that you need to take a look at and start honing in, right? Having those conversations, maybe putting some more boundaries around um, what you're doing. That's the individual side. Mm -hmm. But for the organizational side, as the manager, really taking a look again at what are the values of my department? How do those values align to the individual values? And are there boundaries around the workload that I'm, I'm allowing to happen? So sometimes we have to start saying no, or we have to start saying I'm accepting risk at the wrong level. So saying, hey, we need to do more, 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 but you don't have the staffing to do more work with integrity and it's draining your workforce, then you need to be able to speak up and say, you're, that next level is responsible for providing the right resources to do the work correctly. Um, and, and what are some strategies to sort of take a temperature check of employees to sort of, you know, obviously some, some of these things don't, aren't obvious to you, you know, when you kind of just, in everyday interactions. So what are some kind of ways to kind of, you know, get an idea of how they're doing? Yeah. So have you ever heard of exit strategies mm -hmm. or exit interviews? Yeah. So exit interviews, right? The person, you can have the conversation with them, but they're already out the door, right? Like right. their decision, there's probably nothing else that you can do to keep them to stay. But a really great option is stay interviews. So really having these one-on-one -on -one sit downs and asking people, how, how are you enjoying your employment? What hasn't gone well in the past six months? What's been going great? You know, what keeps you here and what keeps this organization as part of your long-term employment strategy? breaks, everybody's got to have a job, people got bills to pay. <laughs> so, you know, really, so we do like one on ones, we do midterm feedback, end of year feedback, but a dedicated state interview, where you are figuring out how to make sure and wants to be a part of this organization, and truly taking action after you find out awesome way to get a temperature check because if you do those every quarter every six months and you're like the answers are just getting less and less and it's like oh i don't know we may need to intervene in a different way 
or you see that positivity, you see that what you're doing to support them is continually encouraging them, then you are not surprised when they're just excited and recruiting their friends to come to your organization. And I guess if you, you know, if you don't talk to them regularly like that, you have no idea necessarily what's what their mindset is about the job and about, you know, if they want to leave, if, you know, if there was something that can be done to make them stay, you have no idea if you don't talk to them. Yes, you got to have the conversations, but you also have to create an environment that allows them to be open and vulnerable with that information. Because if someone tells you and then you're like, well, that's not true, blah, 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 and you get defensive, they will, they may not ever open up and express that to you again. So you, it's both ways. And like you were saying, with an exit interview, you, you know, the person's kind of, you know, they're gone anyway, so they, they, they can ease up and kind of tell you what's really on their mind. Whereas, you know, if they're worried about their job, they, they might, you know, keep things to themselves. Absolutely. And wouldn't it be great if you would have known a year before what was on their mind that you could, that you maybe even had control over? If it was something as simple as coming into work on Wednesdays, it's just too much for me. I'm doing too right. something simple. Um, but flexibility in the workforce is a big deal right now. And if you had known that, then maybe they would have stayed. Yeah. And, and obviously, uh, you know, you mentioned sort of pre pre pandemic and sort of post pandemic. And obviously, obviously, people have realized that you know, flexibility, job flexibility, being able to take a few hours to go to their kid's game or, or whatever they need to do is, is it a huge part of job satisfaction. Um, what can, you know, sort of from a, the safety uh, supervisor standpoint, what can we do to kind of be a little more flexible? Yeah, it's hard for safety, right? There it's are roles in the background that can work from home. Um, there are roles that truly need to be front and center. And I don't take away from that at all. Our opportunities, um, if you have someone working in the permitting space, if you've got to work on permits all day, maybe you do let them work from home or give them some of that flexibility when they've got family obligations. If they're reporting, I'm an industrial hygienist, we write tons of reports. Mm -hmm. If I'm writing a report, why do I need to commute to get there to write the report? Um, so really taking a look at what is meaningful to that person. So I can sit back behind my desk and come up with rules and say, this is how we're gonna go do it, or, I can reach out, build the relationship and trust, and ask people what meaningful flexibility options are there for that person and incorporate that into that kind of autonomy um, strategy because that's one of the areas where people having control of their lives is one of those indicators or um, areas that lead to either job satisfaction or burnout. So, but it's gotta be meaningful because if I say, hey, I'm contributing to the potluck and I bring chips and I'm at a wellness event, 
and you should have brought a fruit tray. <laughs> like it wasn't a meaningful contribution, right? So it, it'll mean nothing if it doesn't mean anything to the person that is being impacted by it. Not everyone will be happy. You can't get 100% happiness, but at least if you can ask, show where you considered them individually and work through additional strategies. Maybe there's another place where something they that's meaningful to them shows up. It, it goes a very, very long way. Makes sense. Well, Sabina, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. Absolutely, Jay. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That wraps up episode 130 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.plr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time.